Open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 11. If you're joining us in this service by video or by, by a podcast, understand uh, this is Communion Sunday for us, and in this worship service, we have just had the Lord's Supper together. We've talked a little bit about the Passover and how Jesus' last supper with his disciples was an important night on the night of the Jewish Passover. It was a holiday that recalled a very, very dark and wondrous night from salvation history, the, the night that the Israelites uh, fled Egypt after 450 years of slavery. I want to take you all the way back there to Exodus chapter 11, uh, that first night, that first Passover. I want us to start there. I don't know how you all actually respond to the blood language that, that we've used even in this service and that the, the, the Bible uses throughout. There's a lot of talk about blood. And I know that some people are honestly just, just squeamish. And, and, and I have mercy on you for that. I, I think I understand that. There's a lady named Stephanie who said that when she became a mama, she always just expected to be a mother like her mother was a mother and that she would be able to take care of all of her son's boo-boos. But, but then the first boo-boo happened. Stephanie was working in the kitchen and her little boy, toddler, kind of stumbled and he fell into the kitchen cabinet and kind of busted his nose, busted his face, and he got a nosebleed. And Stephanie had always imagined that in a moment like that, she would be this wonderful mother who would swoop in and pick up her child and care for him. But that just didn't happen. I mean, she swooped all right. She swooped. But she said she just, the moment she saw blood, she just felt the color rush out of her face and she just began to stagger. And all she remembers was screaming her husband's name and then she woke up on the kitchen floor later. It's just what happens when she saw blood. And scientists say that something like 15% of us are like that. They call it hemophobia. Now say that slowly or you'll think you're something else. Hemophobia. Hemophobia is, is that fear of blood, and a, and a number of us have that. Several years ago, there were a, a bunch of hemophobics in the church, not our church, but in the church in general, who sort of decided that maybe the church should work on taking some of that blood language out. It sort of made them sick or squeamish every time they sang hymns like, are you washed in the blood of the lamb or there is power in the blood? I mean, it was just more than they could take. And they were respectfully asking if maybe we would go back through the hymnal and take all of that blood stuff out. Maybe in, in the pulpit, just sort of stop emphasizing the, the blood language because not everybody likes the sound of that. Well, with all apologies to the hemophobes in, in the audience, I just must say to you, I'm not sure we can take that language out. It, it's essential language. It, it is Passover language. And when Jesus himself described what he was going to do for the world, he used this language. Let's come back to Exodus chapter 11, that first Passover night, so that we can understand not just what God has done for his people Israel, but what Jesus has done for all of us sinners. Exodus chapter 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will strike Pharaoh and the land of Egypt with one more blow. That word blow means plague, one more plague. After that, Pharaoh will let you leave this country. In fact, he will be so eager to get rid of you that he will force you all to leave. Tell all the Israelite men and women to ask their Egyptian neighbors for articles of silver and gold. 
Now the Lord had caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the people of Israel. And Moses was considered a very great man in the land of Egypt, respected by Pharaoh's officials and the Egyptian people alike. Moses had announced to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. At midnight tonight, I will pass through the heart of Egypt. Now stop right there. When we tell this story, when we sometimes tell it to our children, we'll say it's the death angel that passes through. But that's not what God says. What does he say? Who's going to pass through? God says, I will pass through the heart of Egypt. All the firstborn sons will die in every family in Egypt, from the oldest son of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the oldest son of his lowliest servant girl who grinds the flour, even the firstborn of all the livestock will die. Then a loud wail will rise throughout the land of Egypt, a wail like no one has heard before or will ever hear again. But among the Israelites, it will be so peaceful that not even a dog will bark. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. All the officials of Egypt will run to me and fall to the ground before me. Please leave, they will beg. Hurry, take all your followers with you. Only then will I go. Then burning with anger, Moses left Pharaoh. Now the Lord had told Moses earlier, Pharaoh will not listen to you, but then I will do even more mighty miracles in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed these miracles in Pharaoh's presence, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he wouldn't let the Israelites leave the country. Take your seats. It's not just that some people are squeamish about the the, the word blood or the sight of blood or or the thought of blood. There are people who honestly read a passage like this, and, and they just begin to get a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, at Woodburn Baptist Church, I, I've just finished a long series on grace, talking about how God is gracious and, and God is so good. And it's passages like this that make some people say, I, I don't know about that. I mean, they accept that the New Testament speaks a lot of God's goodness, and Jesus himself on earth was obviously a very, very gracious teacher, a gracious man, but But a passage like this that talks about a God who would pass through the land of Egypt on a night at midnight and kill, strike down every single firstborn son in every house. Every firstborn son, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter who you think you are, your firstborn son dies because God says so. And not only that, the firstborn of all of your animals, all of your livestock, your cows, your horses, your mules, your geese, I mean all of the firstborn of the animals die. This is a night of such death and destruction. And honestly, some people, and they're rational people, are asking, how can God do that? How can you talk about a God of grace and a God who would ravage the land of Egypt like this on one night at midnight? How can God possibly do this and then you say he's a God of grace? Well, let's talk about that a moment. He is a God of grace. He is a God of grace. But remember what grace is. Grace is is getting what we do not deserve. Remember that. Grace is getting the favor, the forgiveness. Grace is getting the gift of what we do not deserve. We deserve death. 
We deserve judgment. We deserve punishment. Don't ever forget that. Grace only is grace in the context of the fact that we're all guilty sinners and we don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve God's kindness. We deserve condemnation and judgment. We're all sinners. So you've got to understand grace first in that way. None of us deserve anything from God. He is never obligated to be kind to us, even though he loves us. It's not because we're lovable. It's because he is a God who is gracious. He chooses to love us, and he loves us for eternity. Understand that. It's grace. You don't deserve that. I don't either. Grace is undeserved. So when you go back and see that on this particular night, God brings a dreadful judgment against the Egyptians, you need to understand that God is perfect in his justice, perfect in his judgment, and you probably ought to slow down a little before you begin to criticize and pass judgment on God. Maybe you need to come back and think about what happens in this story. Think about what happens in Egypt's history. What is God doing And why is he so severe on the night of Passover? Well, stop and understand the basic story. Remember that God has been simply asking Pharaoh to let his people go. The land of Egypt has been oppressing. They have had an entire race of people, the Jewish people, under the heel of their boot, under slavery for nearly 500 years. Understand that. Nearly 500 years, Egypt has been oppressing. They have had every single Jewish man, woman, boy, and girl in slavery. They have done that. And God has been saying, let my people go so that they may worship me. Let my people go. All that Pharaoh is being asked to do is the right thing. Treat my people like human beings. Recognize that they are as much important as the Egyptian people are important. Simply set them free, let them go. That's all Pharaoh's being asked to do, the the right thing. And he's been given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to say yes to this. He's been given every opportunity to do what God has asked him to do. It is not that it's not clear to Pharaoh. He knows exactly what he's supposed to do. It's not as if what he's doing is questionable. It is obviously wicked and immoral to enslave an entire race of people. Pharaoh is a wicked man. And God gives him opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. That, my friend, is what you call grace. Every opportunity to repent And Pharaoh knows that this is what he needs to do. After one of the plagues, he actually goes back to Moses and he repents. He repents. He says that I I know that what I'm doing is wrong and I repent. He said those words. He knows that's what he's supposed to do. But Pharaoh is the kind of guy that will only repent when he's standing hip deep in frogs. Seriously. He's the kind of guy that will only repent when he is looking at a Nile River turned to blood. He's the kind of guy that will only repent when his arm is twisted hard up up the back of his body. Do you understand? Pharaoh is a guy who only repents when things get very, very difficult. But when things get better, he goes right back to the man he always has been. That's not genuine repentance. Although God's giving him chance after chance after chance, that is genuine grace. 
there are 10 plagues during the time of the Exodus. There are 10 different times when God continues to show Pharaoh that he is the Lord and that he's serious about what he's asking him to do. There are 10 plagues. And this night of Passover, this represents the 10th plague. Do you understand? There are multiple opportunities for Pharaoh never ever to see judgment like this. But ultimately judgment comes. The fact that God is gracious to us does not mean that there won't come a moment when we face judgment. That's what the scripture says. It does not mean that if you resist God's grace all of your life, that in eternity God will continue to show you grace. Do you understand? God is still a just God who has every right to judge us. If you run from his grace, you will face his judgment. That's what the gospel says. That's what the scripture shows. And that's what happens to Pharaoh. He will not respond to God's grace. He will not respond to God's kindness. And so ultimately, he faces God's judgment after multiple opportunities to repent. Do you understand? The plagues represent opportunities, opportunities for Pharaoh to turn to God. But he will not do that. He simply won't do it. The ten plagues also represent God's demonstrating his power. Understand that the Egyptians had multiple gods, all kinds of strange and bizarre gods. And never forget that Pharaoh himself believed that he was a god. And the people worship Pharaoh as if he were a god. So the plagues also represent God's demonstrating exactly who he is, the only god, and exactly how much power he had. And if Moses and Aaron had come into Pharaoh's palace and done a few miracles, a few catchy tricks, Pharaoh's magicians would have immediately explained it all away. The ten plagues are gigantic demonstrations of God's awesome power. It's an opportunity for Pharaoh to understand the God he's dealing with. Ten plagues. Ten. Count them. Opportunities to understand who God is. And before you get all weepy and concerned about the Egyptians, I want you to just stop and remember how very, how very perfect God's justice is. And the Passover seems severe. It seems so severe for God to come through and take the life of every single firstborn son. That seems severe. It seems severe when the scripture says that that the promises on Passover night, verse 6, a loud cry, a loud wail will rise throughout the land of Egypt. A loud cry throughout Egypt. You're thinking, my goodness, that's horrible. How could God do that? Well, stop a minute. Have you read the whole book of Exodus? How does it begin? It begins with Moses at the burning bush. And what does God say? I have heard the cry. I have heard the cry of my people Israel. Israel has been under slavery for for 450 something years, you understand? And they have been crying all of these years under Pharaoh, under the Egyptians. There's this enormous cry for centuries from the Israelite people. Don't forget that. Centuries of crying on their part because of what the Egyptians had done. And also, Don't forget the very beginning of the book of Exodus when Pharaoh decides that the Israelites are becoming a little too powerful and he wants to destroy them. So what does Pharaoh do? He throws every baby boy where? 
into the river. He slaughtered every Jewish baby boy. God's judgment doesn't always come swiftly, but it comes surely. And on Passover night, there is judgment. There is going to be a death in every single house. Don't miss that. There's going to be a death in every single house. But you do have a choice to make. God provides, even on this night of judgment, on this horrible night of judgment, God provides a way of salvation. Don't miss it. He simply says that, 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 that if anybody, and I believe it means anybody, even some of the Egyptians could have done this, if they just simply do what God says, if they will take a lamb, now, it's got to be a perfect lamb. It has to be your best lamb. It has to be a lamb without any kind of spot and no kind of blemish whatsoever. You find a perfect lamb and you bring it to your house. You take it to the very front door of your house and you slaughter it at the threshold. You take the lamb, you slaughter it, you spill its blood on your porch. And then you take something and you reach down and you begin to mop that blood across your door, all the way up both of your doorposts and across, across the top. You paint that entire door frame with blood. And God promises, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Do you understand? There's a death in every house. It's either the firstborn or it's a lamb. The Passover is important because this is the kind of language, this is the picture, this is the way God wants us to understand what Jesus has done for us. When Jesus appeared on the banks of the Jordan River and John the baptizer saw him, what did he say? He said, everybody look, behold the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He uses Passover language. Do you understand? There was going to be a death in every single house. It could either be the firstborn or it could be the lamb. The, the lamb was a, a substitute. We have the anniversary of 9-11 upon us, but there's another anniversary in the Middle East that is sometimes called not 9-11, but 28-11. It was, I believe, November 28, 2008, when terrorists had an organized attack in the Middle East. In the city of Mumbai, they attacked the Taj Mahal Palace. It's a very, very elaborate and beautiful hotel. There was that night, that horrible night, a, a, a group of people in, in a grand ballroom enjoying a, a very elaborate dinner when the terrorists came in and simply began shooting everyone. They were shooting everyone. There was a man who was seated at a table who says that at the moment when the gunfire started, and it started at his table, that someone grabbed him and immediately pulled him under the table grabbed him and pulled him under the table, and he survived. He survived that shooting, and at the end of that horrible, horrible night, he was interviewed, and the reporter asked him, how do you imagine that you survived, that the terrorists went through to make sure everybody was dead? 
Over 200 people in that dining room lost their lives. How do you think you survived? The man said this. He said, at the moment that the gunfire started, a man at my table pulled me underneath the table with him, but he had already been shot. And I became covered with his blood. I suppose that when the gunman saw me, I was covered with another man's blood, and so they skipped over me. Understand, it's a picture of what Jesus has done for us. The scripture says plainly that that the consequences of our sin is death. Always the wages, the consequences of sin is death. So that means in the context of all of us being sinners, someone's got to die. There is going to be a consequence for your sin and for my sin, and the consequence is always death. And just like that night of Passover, when in every single household there was going to be a death, do you understand? If you listen to what God had said, and if you follow what he would say, there would be a substitute death. There would be one who could spill blood in your place, and that one was the lamb. You could take a pure and spotless lamb and slaughter it and spill its blood, and that lamb would die in your place so that when God passed over, he would see the blood of that lamb, and therefore you would live and not die. And so when Jesus is called the Lamb of God, do you understand what this is saying? It means that on behalf of all of us sinners, there is one who has come who is the one who can die in our place. His death in place of, of our death. When he dies on the cross, that's why we can say that he died for me. He died for you. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His death was a substitute for my death, for your death. That's why everyone who believes in him shall not die, shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. You are covered in another man's blood. And because of that, you can be saved. You understand? You shall be saved. His death is a substitute for your death. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The the words of God there in, in the scripture say, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And so the whole feast, the whole night becomes known as Passover. There's a Hebrew word. It sounds Hebrew when I say it, and I can't say it. It means Passover. But understand, the word means more than just passing over, more than to skip over, which is one way to translate it. That word for Passover literally means to spread the wings over. Now think about that. Picture that. The word Passover doesn't just mean to skip. It literally means to spread wings over. So it's not just that when God sees the blood, he skips over you and so, and so you're not judged. It's this idea that when God sees the blood, he shelters you. When God sees the blood, he protects you. He covers you. Do you understand the beauty of that? Do you understand what Christ has done for you? Covered in his blood, washed in his blood. Now when God sees Christ's blood over you, he spreads his wings over you. He protects you. Do you understand? He shelters you. He saves you. It's not as if he skips over you and just keeps on going. He hovers over you. When God sees Christ's blood over your life, God spreads his wings over your heart. I love that. 
That's a picture of salvation. That's why the Bible uses Passover language to talk about what Christ has done for us. When God sees Christ's blood over me, he spreads his wings across my life. The blood of the lamb brought protection, but also cleansing. I have to admit, I'm not the laundry person at our house. I'm the person who comes out on Thursday and says, I don't have any underwear, I don't have any underwear. And then it becomes our laundry lady's job. God forgive me, our laundry lady is my wife. But I know this much. I know that blood stains. My goodness, there are a lot of things that are hard to get out of clothes. But if you get blood, blood stains. It just stains badly. Anytime you get blood, if it dries, if it sets in, it's probably there for good. So it's so amazing, so interesting that all through Scripture and through the Christian church, when we talk about what Christ's blood does for us, we talk about his blood as cleansing us. Interesting. It is his blood that doesn't stain, but it It's his blood that removes every stain. It's something of an irony that the blood cleanses. But remember, on that night of Passover, you were to take a lamb, and it was very, very important that you choose a spotless lamb, a lamb that was pure, a lamb that was absolutely perfect. And the perfection, the purity of that lamb matters greatly because don't you understand, that lamb is going to be your substitute. That lamb is dying in your place. We are not perfect. We are sinners. You cannot look at my life and say that my life is not blemished. My life is stained with sin inside and outside. I carry those stains. I have carried the guilt. I've carried the condemnation of everything I've ever done. That's just my life as a sinner. The same story can be told of you. But the promise is there is a lamb who is perfect, a lamb who is spotless, a lamb who has no sins to pay for, who dies in my place. And so, you see, it's not just that that he trades his life for mine. He trades my stains for his purity. When the lamb dies in my place, I trade my sin for his perfection. So God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I will spread my wings over you. I will make you clean. I know some people are squeamish about blood. But there's an old song that's, that's dear to me. Maybe you've heard it. I think it's the third verse that says, lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed In the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb. Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? 
I don't know another way to say that. And you want to know something amazing? Turn to the book of Revelation chapter 5. One of the amazing things that we see in Scripture is that for all of those bloody songs we've been singing down here for so long, when we get to heaven, we're going to sing those same songs or something like them. Notice that when you get to heaven, when the curtain is pulled back on heaven, the first thing you hear is singing. But notice what they're singing. Revelation chapter 5, let's start in verse 9. They sing a new song, but it's not that new. Do you understand? They sing a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Down to verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, they sang, blessed and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped the lamb. Who is the lamb? He's Jesus. He's Jesus. He is the lamb who comes to take away the sins of the world. Do you understand what this means for you? You understand that for all of you have done and for all the guilt that you carry and all those nights you will lay awake wishing that you could do things over, for all of the regret and all of the shame and all of the guilt you carried, you understand that God has now sent the lamb who can take that away from you. He's finally sent one who can pay for your sins in your place so that you no longer have to carry the guilt and shame. It's paid for you. It's taken away from you. Do you understand that there is one and only one who has now shed his blood so that if you will allow that blood to cover and define your life, if you will just simply place yourself under his sacrifice, if you will simply accept the grace of God in sending his son to die in your place, when God sees his blood over you, he will spread his wings over your life. Do you understand? Scripture says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Pray with me. God, it's in some ways the strangest kind of language to talk about the beauty of our salvation. It's somehow, no matter how we want to talk about it, we always have to come back to blood. We always have to come back to the blood, and we have to talk about death, and we talk about so much darkness, Lord. We have to talk about so many dark and dreadful things so that we can begin to talk about the way your light has shined in darkness. We have to somehow talk about death so that we can begin to have words that describe the life that you give us, all of us who were dead in our sins. We have to talk about blood because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Oh God, I thank you for providing for our salvation. I thank you for sending Jesus, the lamb, who's taken away our sins. 
Lord, there are people in this house, there are people in the sound of my voice, there are people watching this sermon by video who still continue to carry around the burden of their sins. They still continue to carry around the stains from sins committed years ago, years and years ago. I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would accept your sacrifice for their sins, for our sins. I pray, Lord, that you would Take every one of our sin-stained souls, wash them pure and clean in your blood. Wash us that we can be whiter than snow. Lord Jesus, we thank you that this is all by your grace, by your goodness. Nothing we can do to earn and deserve it, only to listen to the offer and accept it. Jesus, I thank you for this table where we have worshipped you. I thank you for this body, this body of people that are your body, the body of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of worshipping you, for singing the kinds of songs that we sing and the knowledge that we will sing new songs with the same theme when we finally fall before you in heaven. Lord Jesus, for now, let us fall before you here on earth, worship you, Understand that you are the lamb who takes away our sins. Lord Jesus, come, take away all of our sins. We pray in your pure and holy name. Amen. Stand.